Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home. Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, seven-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David, Dan, and Hoags recap the Twins, breaking the 18-game postseason losing streak. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson, special guest in studio, on-site reporter, I guess we'd say, Andrew Hoags Hoganson. Boys, the streak is over. We're never going to hear about this 18-game losing streak again. Doe Park said it best on Twitter. Now they're just another team playing for a championship. Whoa! Yeah, boys, my voice shot. I mean, I was at that game. I was yelling <laughs> as loud as I could that whole game. That, that was awesome. It was awesome. You're going to have to guide me a lot through this podcast because because I am still riding that high like crazy, but that was probably the most fun baseball game I've ever been at in my life. Well, and Hoax, you've been to some of the other games during the streak. Was there like a nervousness throughout? Like, how would you describe the feeling of the fans? So the last game I was at too for the playoffs was the 2019 for the Bomba squad when they finished the sweep against the Yankees, obviously, because no one went to the, the Astros series after that. That crowd was just waiting for something bad to happen. And I felt like this crowd was there too. I texted you both at the beginning of the game. Like everyone here is really nervous. Like there was a buzz, before the game, but it was quiet. But man, when when the game starts off like it did, like that was absolutely incredible. Like it, it just kind of relieved a lot of that tension. And I got to give the fans props. And I know listening to the post game interviews, everyone did too. But it was loud, and it was loud the whole game. Every single two strike pitch, they were on their feet. People were standing almost the whole game. It was an incredible atmosphere. So well done, Minnesota Twins fans. I was nervous before the game like all morning we were all texting I think we all said the exact same thing like I was shaking just a little bit I had like a nod in my stomach like I was nervous on behalf of all of those Twins fans there like I'm not a great sports watcher in those moments because I feel it in playoffs so much more like David you sat next to me like watching a wild playoff game like it's just it's yeah. a very intense thing it's, it's enjoyable finally in the end but throughout it's just nerve-wracking you know how you see guys fist pump sometimes and it feels a little corny like in this moment right when Duran gets a strikeout or when you know the play with Solano or Taylor catching the ball like I find myself fist pumping but it just feels so natural it's not like oh I'm gonna plan to do a fist pump here like your body can't help it but get excited in those big moments no and like I was watching the very end like as one of my son's soccer practices was ending and there's parents there who have no idea I mean they're not twins fans out here and I'm like I'm fist pumping <laughs> throwing my hands in the air with every strikeout there at the end with Duran so it was pretty dang cool I even I, I teared up even just a little bit at the end of the game I didn't think I would I I really didn't and I kind of sat there and I was in a little bit of a reflective moment and my wife had taken the kids away from me so I could watch the game in peace and I found myself like uh oh gonna need a gonna need a tissue here I so think. I thought I would cry but I I honestly didn't because I think I was because I was yelling so hard and I may have like blacked out briefly for a little bit I looked at my heart rate I was at 150 beats per minute when that game ended just from standing up and uh, cheering at top of the ninth there but my my mom cried my mom's been a twins fan her whole life and she was at the game with me today and she definitely teared up it was it was a pretty special moment quick couple of notes here before we get into the recap so Royce Lewis wins September rookie of the year and my goodness what a way to continue his stretch secondly Pablo 
Pablo Lopez arrives to Target Field wearing a Santana jersey. That was awesome. I, like when I saw that tweet, I, that was awesome. Especially because it was like his childhood idol for baseball. Like that's who he loved watching. And then he's also the last guy to start when the Twins won a playoff game. Like Lopez embracing that history, knowing that the Twins fans are coming from that and knowing that they are going to know what that means and being willing to have the stones to not only wear that, but then back it up on the field later and then end up getting the win. I mean, that was beautiful. It is kind of a storybook tale. I had forgotten that connection between those guys. And and David, we have to give you credit. I think you nailed the roster. 14 position, 12 it. pitchers, and I think you had them all right. I did. I did. I Thank you for pointing that out so I didn't have to do it myself, Dan. <laughs> so yes, that was good. No Buxton on this roster. I guess we'll see if we might see him down the road if there's another series. Gosh, we hope that this is not the only win here and that a new streak uh, is born. All right, well, let's uh, run through this game quick. A lot of things happened here, boys, that are worth talking about. Series Recap. As Twins fans, we go into this game thinking the absolute worst, right? Like, we can pretend that we're all excited and we think this team is going to roll, but we all know there's nerves, there's anxiety, and wouldn't you know it, the very first play of the game, Polanco playing third base, a place where he doesn't play often, he gets a slow roller hit to him, picks it up, chucks it over to first, brings Kirilov off the bag. Kirilov somehow manages to snag the ball, tags the foot of Springer, but Springer's running motion kicks the ball out of his glove and he safe at first and I gotta be honest boys I thought that was the beginning of the end well I kind of blame you for this one too because when Dan picked <laughs> yes. Polanco for his bench you were like well I don't think it's a double down the line that you're not seeing it's because he's going to be stretched playing third base a position that he's normally not <laughs> used to so there might be some poor plays there so right when that happened my first thought was like David David Kufis what are you doing to me and then my next thought was like well this is figures because that's how the Astros series went with Polanco making that air that we oh man yeah so it, it was a rough start but to give the fans credit like I mean and Lopez he got right out of that inning and it was it was just kind of it felt like different like right from that moment and it's easy to say that in hindsight but in that moment it kind of felt like the twins of old would have given up a run there but but we didn't but Lopez got out of it definitely well and then Hogs like you said the bottom of the first Eddie Julian takes a walk of course and then Royce Lewis hits just a jack to left field and it was you could not write a better bottom of the first I mean, this was even better than Eddie Rosario's home run in New York, what, five, six years ago now, or whatever that was. I mean, it was, I just, I cannot imagine the eruption that must have been at the stadium. It was incredible. And I, I, so I was sitting down the first base side, section 308 way up there, and it did not look like it was out. Like when he hit it, I mean, you knew it was a hard hit ball, but it didn't get much like elevation. And when that went out, man, the crowd just exploded. Like that was a powder keg ready to go off and that lit the fuse. And then there's a couple more plays here. The top of the second, great diving catch by Michael Taylor going to his right. He featured prominently in this game. Bottom of the second, Julian gets called out on a bad pitch inside. And the the strike zone was just not all there in this game. You you have this later, David, that the ump scorecard probably going to have some doozies. It felt like overall he had a decent game, but it, it felt like all of the calls that he missed were in pretty big moments. And then uh, in the bottom of the third though, Royce Lewis comes up again and he hits one and it's always hard for me to read on TV off the bat a ball that's hit to that part of the field, kind of right center, because yeah. you just never quite know and it just kept carrying and carrying and then it was out. So then the Twins have a 3 nothing lead. There's a great video of their guy standing in the background with his hands on his head just 
just his mouth dropped. Like, did he really do it again? He did it again. And <laughs> from where we were sitting for that one, I knew it was gone right off the bat. Like the second he hit it, I knew it was gone. I was up jumping and screaming because it looked like that one got a little more loft. And you're kind of watching the fielders too. And when they just turn around and kind of slump their shoulders a little bit, it was like, what can't this guy do? Like, what? And then I looked at my buddy. I'm like, they're not going to give him a pitch to hit the rest of the series. Like, that's it. Like, that, it was it was crazy. Top of the fourth, Polanco has another play uh, where the ball gets under him at third. And, and you are thinking, does Rice make that play? But he didn't need him because Carlos Correa was right there behind him on a play. Carlos Correa ran a long way to get to that baseball and then peg out Bichette at home. I want to build a championship culture. It was a great movement play by Correa because he had no time to stop and pick up the ball. It had to be a fluid motion where he's picking up the roller and chucking it home. Now, again, like Hoag said, Polanco did struggle with this play at third base. And I think Correa actually should have been there a little bit sooner. It shouldn't have been as close a play. But what's funny, it probably worked to the Twins' advantage because Bichette doesn't make that break for home if Correa is right there playing backup. Well, and they were talking about this on the radio, too, about whether or not Bichette should have been sent home there. He absolutely should have. Like, when he started running, I thought he was safe by a mile. And Correa throws that throw off balance, sidearm, and still gets him out. And let's not forget, Jeffers made a heck of a tag there to even get that down on him. Yes. I mean, that was a sweet play. And you're right. Like, if that doesn't happen, the inning is still alive. Bases would have been loaded, I think, in that situation. So, I mean, that was a huge play. Well, then, guys, in the bottom of the fifth, so an inning and a half later, we get Rocco's first pinch. Hang on a minute. Runner on first and second, two out. Solano comes in for Kirilov. We could use a pinch. It was a pattern of things. We'll we'll talk maybe a little bit more about this later, of him doing kind of the same thing uh, that we'd seen him do throughout the season in terms of pinch hitting. Bottom of the sixth, another moment, a fine catch by Taylor in center. A well-timed leap to get a big out there because that's a run-scoring hit uh, if he doesn't make that catch. Castro comes in for Walner in the seventh uh, to play left field. Farmer then comes in in the bottom of the seventh, pinching for Julian with a lefty on the mound. He actually doesn't get a hit out of that. And then, David, we get to the eighth, and one... Once again, the doomsday (laughs) predictions here seem to be almost coming true. Jax comes on the mound and he immediately gives up a leadoff double and I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I got a text from a buddy right away saying, you know, your predictions seem to be somewhat accurate thus far. He goes, this is setting up uh, pretty perilously uh, for you. When Jax came in, I thought about walking into the concourse because I was just like, I don't know if I can watch him pitch because like, I know he's been pretty decent this year, but just bad things happen to him in huge situations, it seems like. Yeah, then right away to Guerrero and he just hits that bomb for that double and I was just like, Oh, come on. We can't. We can't. <laughs> but then he recovered, right? He gets a couple strikeouts. His sweeper really looked good. He even had a yeah. backdoor sweeper on there. And and watching on TV, you know, obviously we can see where the pitches are. And they were all around the edge there. He did an excellent job after that double. And then the top of the ninth, Duran comes in and he throws almost nothing but curveballs for the first yeah. couple outs. I thought that was a really smart move because you got to think that they're thinking fastball. Yeah, the one that he struck out Kiermaier on was ridiculous because it fooled them the entire way and it just dropped out it just disappeared like he thought it was coming in at 102 but nope it's actually coming in at 89 and it's going to drop about eight when inches. you're sitting in the third deck and you can tell a guy looks foolish at the plate i mean that's how no how you know how nasty that stuff was they were so afraid of that fastball and like i love that attack those first couple pitches just all curveballs and he looked just deadly so top nine to end it all of the twins fans in all of twins territory are holding their breath wanting this to be the moment there's a sharply hit ball to the right side of the end 
infield, but Solano spears it, gets up, Duran runs over to cover, Solano, huge fist pump, points at the dugout, he's losing his mind. For a guy who was just signed as sort of an extra guy, you would have thought that he's been on this roster for 10 years. It was an awesome play. I mean, it's just such a great fielding play, Duran being able to cover, and like, I still, I like, it was like holding my breath while it was happening too, because I'm sure everyone was thinking it when Merrifield walked there right before that, everyone's like, oh no, here we go again. Like, a Twins team of old loses that game, but Solano making that play, and right when he touched that bag and that you see the out the place it exploded it, i know i've said that so many times but that crowd was awesome and that that moment was so sweet and like people lingered too for a while which was awesome well guys i think with that we'll go into our segments now we're gonna we're gonna truncate this a little bit uh because we're planning to do one of these after every game so we're not necessarily all going to contribute our own picks for beast and bench but we'll start here with a very familiar segment uh with a familiar outcome puckett's picks winner Catch him all, Kirby puckett. puckett's picks winner so for the postseason, we're going to switch things up a little bit. To start, we let Hoes have the first pick again as, as sort of picking for the listeners. But moving forward now, we're going to make picks for each game, but we are going to use the traditional whoever came in last will get to pick first. So that means that Hoes, you won't be able to take Lewis every single outing, which I'm sure after this game is exactly what you wanted to do because Royce Lewis scored 12 points where Kepler, who I took, had zero and Walner, who Dan took, also had zero. I love how these rules just get changed right after I just blow everyone out of the water after the first game. But yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair going forward here. And man, you had to know, right? He was going to win Puckett's picks here. You had predicted two grand slams in the series, and I'll take this. Like, two home runs and three RBI. The only runs that the Twins scored, obviously. Credit to you, I guess, Hoags, for the obvious pick. Well, with that, we will have a familiar name here again in uh, Beast versus Bench. Beast versus Bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun going with Lewis is the obvious choice but we have to give mad props to Pablo Lopez and obviously Michael Taylor also played a big role in this Twins victory. Lewis is the obvious choice though, yes? Yeah, I think so, but it would be remiss to not mention those guys, especially because I predicted, I think I did this right, uh, that Pablo Lopez, <laughs> Lopez would play a key role in this series and sure enough he did with a pretty good start, all things considered. Yeah, honestly, it's hard to go go wrong with either one of those three. I would like to give a special shout out to Nick Gordon. I don't know how much they showed it on the TV broadcast, but he was <laughs> going wild as a cheerleader on the bench like every single big play he was up throwing the towel all around when Taylor made that diving catch when Lewis hit his uh, not grand slam but when Lewis hit both of his home runs it was pretty sweet seeing how pumped he was just sitting in the dugout I was gonna say you know he didn't I did. play I, right? I was like I know that you're sitting kind of far away but yeah we have to talk about Lopez though it goes five and two-thirds innings three strikeouts two walks only one earned run and maybe left in a, a pinch too long yeah maybe we'll talk about that in, in rewind here in a little bit for bench I I think we got to say Polanco for his defensive plays and he didn't really contribute offensively but he's also in a tough spot because he's playing third in a high pressure situation he could play he could barely play second base against the Astros or shortstop or whatever it was I think it is splitting hairs a little bit with having Polanco be the bench here but we do have to pick a bench so I, I it's not a bad choice but I do want to give him a little credit for that play where Correa ended up backing him up and making that great play that's a tough play to make like even if you are a yeah. great player that can still get past you and you have to try on it it's kind of an all or nothing play with it like what they were saying on the radio so again not not the worst but he did have that air in the first as well and then struck out twice i always like there's this video clip of Harmon killebrew and they ask him about like the hardest play to cover in the field as a third baseman and he says that swinging bunt is the absolute hardest play to make because you have to get to the ball so quickly and make an accurate throw and there's just no time for any sort of hesitation all right well we have a few things to talk about uh in rocco's rewind 
Rocco's Rewind. So as I referenced here, would you guys have left Pablo in to face Kiermaier? I think it's easy to second guess it because he did give up a run there. But also, like, if him to get through that inning would have been huge. And then you can just go to your regular scheduled bullpen for the 7th, 8th, and ninth. So I think it was the right call to leave him in. He wasn't getting hit that hard. He wasn't a few jams. But I appreciate him giving that him that last batter. I think that was his last batter no matter what, obviously. But I, I think that was a good call. I think so, too. And I think especially because they got out of it, right? Because Varlin came in was able to get the out uh, and move on though that play alone there was a I mean that was close to being a terrible play uh, just a few more feet in the air yeah lucky for Varland he only had to throw two pitches and then he got to sit down but that's a great memory for a kid from St. Paul hey right? all the Minnesota yeah. kids made it into this game too which I think is pretty sweet <laughs> Well, and then Rocco being Rocco, just with the pinch hitting situations, I thought that it worked out. I thought that they were pretty reasonable given the game and, and where it was and such. I mean, that was a big at bat when Solano came in uh, and ended up pinching for Kirilov. I know it didn't work out. I'd rather see Solano do that than like Vasquez pinching in any situation. Yeah, if they ever went to Vasquez in this game, I would be writing a letter. I would hand deliver it to Target <laughs> Field. I'd be that upset about yeah, it. Yeah, I think most of these moves were fairly reasonable and they were good responses to what they were doing on the Toronto side of things. Like it, they'd bring in a lefty, so he'd pinch hit and it was just it was well reasoned he made them act first and then he responded to it so he still got the good matchup well let's keep pushing here minnesota moment boys minnesota moment i don't know what to tell you because there's a lot of choices here lewis first home run his second home run taylor's game saving catch solano ending it with the great play to his right and the toss to duran i think i'm gonna go there just because of the sort of momentum and history and the weight of that moment but all of those moments are ones that i'm sure all of us are gonna be playing back in our head for the next couple of days yeah i absolutely agree with you the the clear-cut minnesota moment is that last play of the game where they got where solano makes that great diving catch duran covers and they get him out the place just explodes. But I would like to say one more thing about Lewis's first home run. When he came up to bat there, apparently he had gotten a text from Joe Mauer earlier in the day to just say, enjoy the moment, like take it all in. And it was noticeable when you're watching the game. He did like a full 360 looking around, just looking at the crowd and you could tell he was soaking it in. I just love that about that kid, like how he is so aware of the moment and loves the moment and doesn't let it overwhelm him, but doesn't come across as like overwhelmingly cocky or, or show, showboaty about it. Like it's such a cool combination and he just has it he has that it factor that's pretty good that's pretty good right there i think too in this post-game interview right afterwards yeah it's cliche to credit the fans but he nodded at the fans and said hey you know i mean i forget exactly what he said but you know this is for you the fans came out they really supported us and now this is off their back you know and, and now they don't have to play with this streak anymore and i'm just i'm so eager to see what that looks like with this team because even though these guys weren't around for all those losses though i guess caleb theobar pointed out that he was a senior in high school in 2004 uh this is him quoted by gleeman i remember the game i've experienced everything all the fans have too this was my team growing up it's still my team i know what weight was lifted off everyone's backs today and so it's just got to be so freeing you know this was the first domino to fall oh my god line that's in a line it's not a domino david since 2004 no okay it could be the hand that like was poised next to the dominoes and now (laughs) that it is is flicked the dominoes forward Okay, this is so frustrating. Folks, I don't even care. We're going to get into it for a second here. I All I wanted to do was talk about a tweet about how each loss is represented by a domino that's been placed since 2004, and the wins are represented by the dominoes being knocked over. So I'm saying this is the first domino to fall to erase all of the losses that we've experienced since 2004. I called Dan Thompson because I wanted to figure out the correct English grammar for how I should tweet, and he, he just criticizes my comment the entire time. And the thing is, he's like, you asked for my advice. No, no, I didn't ask for 
for your advice on the tweet itself. I asked for your help grammatically, and instead you just go off on this tangent about how it doesn't really work as a good metaphor, and really it's the hand hitting the dominoes. Olgers are like onions. Leave it to David to be mad on the internet when no one is actually mad back at him on the internet. <laughs> we ended the streak, David. Let's be nice. <laughs> No, I'm happy. It just, nothing bothers me more when I ask for something specific from someone and they go way outside of the scope of anything that I've to asked To be about. fair. That's not way outside of the, that's not way outside of the scope. You asked me what I thought of the metaphor and so no, I told you. I did not. I explicitly did not. I explicitly asked you, Dan. Fans want an ejection. There it goes. And that was Gardy's gripe. How I should phrase it. Not, not whether it's a good tweet or not. All right. Well, I think you shouldn't have phrased it that way at all, but be it as it may it's just a tortured <laughs> metaphor we're talking about monkeys on backs dominoes falling we got to come up with our own yeah, metaphors if i put together all of the ridiculous metaphors and similes that you've used this season it would take up nine episodes <laughs> ogres are like onions end of story <laughs> okay can we move forward was this supposed to be a happy moment for us we do have some questions though in mauer's musings i just don't know how it can get any better mauer's musings <sighs> somebody else has to talk <laughs> All right, so with all the bullpen usage that happened in this game, with Varlin being in there for a few pitches, Theobar, Jax, Duran, who do you guys think is available still in, in game two? Do you think everyone's available because they weren't worked that much, or how do you think Rocco sees this usage after today's game? I don't think Jax and Theobar should be available unless it's... Because game two is not an emergency time, right? You can lose the game and, and still win the series, obviously. I do think Varlin's available. He only you know threw a couple pitches. And I think Duran, if you need him, you know he, he did not throw that many pitches either and he's your closer my worry would be if you use him in a close game and then he blows it then you don't have him probably for game three I think if you have the chance you got to take it and I think that yeah it is always not great to have to use a guy back to back but if it's a one run game in the ninth inning are you going to Pagan or are you going to Duran who pitched the day before yeah and in this case too like if, if they win this game they get two days off so you you go for it like you go for this game and the fact that they won game one allows you to do that because you don't have to worry about like okay we have to win game two and then come back in game three also so I kind of think everyone is available here I think he'll probably if he can stay away from some of those guys that pitched today but ultimately if it came in in a pinch I think everyone is available so I want to know how much more do you think this win matters to twins fans than it would compared to other fan bases with their team winning game one I got to bring up the Mariners again because it was last year where the Mariners ended their own 19-20 game streak of not even reaching the playoffs and I think that that is significant but there also is something about the heartbreak of losing 18 games in a row I was telling actually one of my students like can you imagine getting up and ready to watch a playoff game and 18 straight of them ends in heartache that's not not even the wild have done that to us yeah I I think it's an easy answer it mattered 18 times more to us than it mattered to anyone else because (laughs) even just walking into that stadium I got a bad feeling right away today because like that's what I'm used to like I'm used to watching the playoffs since I was 15 years old all I've seen is losses I mean yeah it, it definitely matters a lot more and I think it mattered more to the players too I love that they embraced it this year where they were kind of like yeah it wasn't us but we get that our fans went through this and we're gonna end it and they did I love like Farmer called a shot and I know it's not like wow they won one game he called a shot but I I love people just standing up to that and saying like let's do it and then letting them kind of bask in that a little bit today was awesome that was heartfelt uh with that uh, let's go on uh to grade this game series grades 
So there, there is some dissension on the, <laughs> among the ranks here in regards to the grade. Full disclosure, I went through the spreadsheet first and I just filled out all of the segments and then said, okay, we'll decide on it as we go. I put in a B plus. I get it. I get it. They won. They ended the streak. But I think you have to score more runs because I don't think three runs gets it done these next two games. If this isn't an A plus, I honestly don't know what is. I mean, honestly, it's like you, they win game seven of the World Series one to nothing and you give them a C because they should have scored more runs. Like, no, this is is an A plus end of story like there's not even an argument I need to make here I think it's somewhere in there in that range <laughs> I, I do agree that it was nerve-wracking to not win it more dominantly and it is a little concerning that the only guy who scored any runs for them was Royce Lewis but uh given the context and stuff I it's somewhere in that B plus to A, a plus range it, it's a little disconcerting also that the one guy on this podcast who said he only grades with his heart decided to just ignore his heart and <laughs> give him a B plus <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I think probably part of it that plays into it is that I now, you know, we all have this hesitation, but now my mindset has changed so thoroughly. And that's why I quoted Park at the beginning of the podcast, because I think it's so true that now they're just another team trying to win a championship. And like the mindset is no longer end the streak, right? At the beginning of the season, if I had told you, hey, all they're going to do is get to the postseason, they're going to win one game and then they're going to leave the postseason. We probably would take that just so the streak was over. The streak is over. The team is still playing. So for me, grading this game is within the context of me thinking that this team can make a run. Yeah, I'll be honest. That got me pumped up right there. I, I love that dough <laughs> quote that you had right there. And it, it's so true. Like it, it, like that's off our backs now. Now we're just another team playing for a championship. I, I love that quote. Well, guys, here we have, uh, we have one last segment and it's the Puckett's Picks for the next game. And we'll see you tomorrow. Puckett's Picks. So this is actually crazy and it's unprecedented. Now, to be fair, this normally wouldn't happen because you have more than one game that you're scoring for. But Dan and I actually tied for second place and there's no tie break possible because we do home runs, strikeouts, left on base, and all of those are the exact same for Walner and Kepler. So Dan graciously has said that I can go first because I did so poorly in the regular season. <laughs> I don't know if graciously <laughs> is the right word there then. I think it might be a nice um, little subtle poke again. <laughs> And I am, well, that's fair. That's very well could be the case. Here, I was seeing things in a positive light. I'm still trying to mend the relationship here after last episode. People felt I was a bit too snarky uh, toward Dan. And that was even snarky. just the stuff that made the cut. You were, I heard there was, there was more that didn't make the episode. I was crying in the corner of my recording I room. can attest to that. Well, maybe not the crying, but the rest of the episode. I wasn't really crying, but, you know, it makes anyway. for a better story. So I am, I'm almost hesitant to take Lewis because of the impact that I tend to have on players, but I have to take Royce Lewis because I think it, it's more, uh, it's more bad influence if the guy picking first doesn't take Royce Lewis at this point. I'm going to go with Matt Walner. I, I picked him last time. I, I think that a Minnesota kid ending the series uh, in game two with a, a home run or something would be pretty cool. Well, that's a heck of a prediction right there. I love it. This feels weird. Like I, I feel very uncomfortable <laughs> picking with two guys already off the, uh, off the board and in true David fashion I guess since we're kind of switching roles here I'm going to pick Carlos Correa I think he had a big play in the field oh. today and I think he's going to get some good good plays at, at the plate tomorrow I love it Hogs. I love that you're picking third I think this is just so much better than you always getting that first pick 
Um, well, folks, tomorrow, game two, 3.38 p.m. again, Central Time, for those of you on the West Coast like Dan. But let's hope, boys, that the Twins can finish out this series tomorrow, get a couple of off days, and head straight to the divisional round. All right, I'll send us out. Well, folks, if you like what you hear, please do tell a friend. You can follow us on X at Min for the Win, and you can find our Min for the Win Facebook page. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite platform so you're notified when new episodes are available. And if you could leave us a rating or a like, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, you can find us on Patreon. Thanks for listening, and as always, go Twins! That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, go Twins!